You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Glad to see you. I shut the door, but I think I think that's good. I think it's about time. Turning up my volume. You have to remember, if you've been with me in any of these classes, you'll know that audio and visual is a little. It's not like being in the theater, but sometimes it is too loud, which is actually how I feel about the theater most of the time these days. But if you have trouble seeing anything after I play this first clip, you just let me know. Okay. How many people today are talking about Star Wars: Last Jedi? And really, I'm going to look at the whole saga because that's kind of ambitious. <laughs> How many people have seen this most recent of Star Wars? So The Last Jedi came out right before Christmas. Has anyone who's seen no Star Wars? No. No, I think she's in the right class because maybe she'll go see it now. Well, let's, let me open with a prayer, and, and then we'll dive in a little more deeply. Father, I thank you and praise you for the time that you've set before us to be able to study um, you and to study the way your story is meant, um, even in stories of, of people who are writing without knowing the true story in you. I'm so thankful Lord, that you are sovereign and gracious, not only to us who know your true story through scripture, but also to those we don't have a way of knowing. We ask, Lord, that you would give us grace as Christians to be able to enter into a relationship with those who don't know you and be able to read some of these stories that our culture knows and tells to be able to draw people to So we ask this for the glory's sake. In the morning, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, for the one person who maybe hasn't seen them, just to remember our Star Wars, if you recall, the first movie came out in 1977. And if you've ever gone back and watched it, of course, I thought as a child, if you ever go back and watch it and see it with fresh eyes, you'll see, wow, it's not as magical as I thought it was. And then also, but if you wrap your mind around 1977, when it first came out, you'll say, oh my gosh, this was really groundbreaking. This really was incredible. And so keeping that in mind, when you uh, watch all of them, remember that first series came out in 1977. Actually, George Lucas wasn't sure that there would be more than one movie. It was very low budget. He wasn't sure if he'd get his money to make the second two that he had in mind. Um, and so, but once it got big, he then began to write more and flesh out the story of the second two films in that trilogy. And then, of course, he had sort of imagined that they would be the middle of a saga of three trilogies. So if you recall, the first film that came out in 1977, actually when it was rebranded, was titled Episode 4, A New Hope. It was originally called Star Wars, and then it was Episode 4. So of course in 1999, he released that prequel trilogy um, to much anger, fan anger. <laughs> um, it didn't live up to their childhood, what they had remembered it to be in their childhood. Um, and yet, if you go back and watch those, I it. it's not so bad. It's actually and then what we've seen is that in 2015, they finally begun to release um, this third trilogy, which begins with episode seven, and then episode eight was released last um, last December. And that's what we're talking about today, episode eight. If you recall, too, there's a lot, there are a lot of video games 
and merchandise. And then, of course, they also have this thing right now where they're doing spin-off movies. So like Rogue One and the movie about Han Solo are not actually a part of the trilogy series. They don't move the saga forward in a bit, but they flesh out a little bit what happened in the intervening times between some of the numbered episodes, and they'll zero in on one or two different characters, like Han Solo. And there's a lot of internet chatter about who will be the next um, standalone story. All of that to say, if you are against Star Wars, it's probably bad that you're in this class, but maybe it will be over. But if you're listening online too, and you just roll your eyes, I did tell someone that I was doing Star Wars for the third installment of this film series this month, and she just sucked to a big sigh and said, oh, oh, I guess, I mean, I guess you can do that for some people, but really. Uh, and truly, when you look at them critically, they are often cheesy. And they are often um, prone to having some bad writing, maybe some misjudgment at times. There's often a feature, I find this as someone with an acting background, in almost every film, not some of them are accepted, uh, are accepted from this, but in almost every film, there's a moment where you're like, it's just And you're taken out of the story because you're like, I just don't believe And Luke is notorious for that, sorry, Mark. In the first movie, he was very unseasoned as an actor, and they took a lot of he and Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher were all unseasoned actors. And um, and you can tell, it's like a just like a new line. It takes a little bite, it's got a little bite, and that's just the way Mark Hamill performed in the first film in 1977. Was you know he just but it's hard to hear <laughs> when you're listening or watching, and you're like. And there's an example of that in this most recent installment that you might think of immediately, but I'll point out and underline just to ruin it for you a little bit. So again, I will not spoil the ending of the movie, but there will be some slot points that I will tell you throughout. So again, this final, this most recent installment of The Last Jedi contains all of what we've grown to love in the Star Wars movies, all of some of these repeated themes the rebels or the resistance fighting against the empire or now the new order. There are bad guys being bad with each other even. And there are Jedis and Jedi masters and apprentices and the temptation of the dark side. Um, there are, um, there's the continual theme of stealing, trying to steal the plans, the enemy's plans for the Death Star or the new Death Star or um, maybe a map of where Luke is. That's what happens in Force Awakens. And this, this map or this plan gets very, again, it's very 1980s, gets put on a hard drive and then stuck into a droid. This happens more than once, and it happens at least twice. And then that droid is lost, and you have to find the droid and find plans to get them to the rebel base. Um, there's always this danger of the rebel base being destroyed. There's always this effort to destroy the enemy's weapon of mass destruction. And how do you destroy it? Well, you have to target it just so there's this streamlined, really tiny targeting place. And once you get the target, you hit the target, then the whole thing will trigger a chain reaction that will all be destroyed. There are um, saucy rogues who don't play by the rules, like Harrison Ford or um, Poe, um, Demeron, or whatever his name is in new ones. There are innocent but plucky women. Just think about Leia, Amidala, and now Rey. There um, are smart aleck droids who think they know everything. Which sometimes, I, again, just from a theological perspective, if you go back and watch the new, the first one, A New Hope, he is like the embodiment of the law. He's always cheating everyone. He is the ultimate protocol droid who thinks he knows everything, and that's why everybody wants to turn him off sometimes. So there's 
that's a whole different class. Um, there are those few but incomprehensible droids who are always beeping and no one knows what they're saying. We don't know what they're saying, but everyone else in the movie does, like R2-D2 or now BB-8. There are weird aliens, often portrayed with bad puppeteering or bad CGI. Um, there's space travel and talk about hyperspeed and bad hairdos. This is perpetuated all throughout the saga, and if you like that, you're going to love the new installment. Um, so again, if you're prone to rolling your eyes at Star Wars, what I would say is don't. One writer says about the repetition that um, you either have grown to hate or grown to love, and I love reading this and finding out the repetition of themes and character traits is intentional. I didn't know this. George Lucas said this when the second trilogy, the prequel trilogy, was being made almost 20 years ago. He said, um, it's like poetry. These films rhyme. Every stanza rhymes with the last one. And he was saying that to refer in the second trilogy to Anakin Skywalker destroying a droid control ship as a rhyme that mimics Luke's destruction of the Death Star in the first movie. So again, um, with this film, the same author writes, with the, well, with the first of this trilogy, with The Force Awakens, um, the directors and writers fully intended to write a new stanza in the same epic poem. Rather than lazily recycling ideas, the writers crafted a tale that would introduce new characters, integrate old ones, and continue the saga by creating a new stanza. Does that help you like it even better? It helps me appreciate it more artistically. Because before this, I was before I read that, I was just sort of rolling my eyes. Oh, it's the same old thing. And that's been some of the critique of the newer films. Well, they're just the same old thing. It's intentional. It's because it works as a formula. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with enjoying it for the entertainment value. You get sucked in, and you forget about your woes and your worries, and you're drawn into this alternate universe, and you find joy and hope for victory in that place. Okay. We'll talk some more about that in a little bit. Well, I am going to stop talking for a minute and I'm going to show you the trailer to The Last Jedi if you haven't yet seen it. Can everybody hear me? I found you. Is that too loud? I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that,
need someone to show me my place in all this. Um, it is, it's fun, it's fun, and there's nothing wrong with fun. Um, and But now I'm going to give you some bad news before I give you some good news about it. Um, so, I don't know, come on. No, you don't want to do that. We'll figure out what that's doing. Okay, now I'm going to have to start this again. Sorry, hold on. Um, good thing this happened now. Um, so some criticism about the Star Wars movies. Something for us as Christians when we're going in to watch them that's very important to keep in mind is that they are definitely intentionally religious. That is that is just part of George Lucas's intention from the very beginning. And they are definitely Eastern and pagan, intentionally so. So I'm going to underline some of that before I talk about some of the good news, some of the redeemable parts of it some touching off points for us in conversation with other people who might have seen these films and love them but aren't Christian or aren't but maybe they're spiritual but not religious which is one of our culture's favorite phrases so again these films are definitely religious from the very beginning um, about the original Star Wars George Lucas said I see Star Wars as taking all the issues that religion represents and trying to distill them down into a more modern and accessible construct I wanted to make it so that young people would begin to ask questions about the mystery. Isn't that interesting? He's trying to make religion available to his the younger generation in the 70s and 80s. Um, and if you think about it, it's almost a little bit diabolical because it does it for every next generation with them coming out, the second trilogy coming out, the prequel trilogy coming out in the 90s, early aughts, and now 2015, 18, etc. So George Lucas also was mentored by a man named Joseph Campbell. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Joseph Campbell studied world myths, um, uh, spiritual stories and religious stories from all different religions. And he believed that cultures impart their values to the next generation through archetypal stories. But he didn't believe in any one of the world religions being more true than the others. So he is, you could almost say he's a huge influencer in the way in um, this kind of relativism, um, well, that's really good for you. You believe that. That's your truth, but my truth is over here. And he, he's, he's part of perpetuating that. And George Lucas intentionally was trying to mirror and mimic what he had learned from Joseph Campbell. He actually produced one of Joseph Campbell's movies about his kind of philosophical approach to combining all sorts of world religions together. So this is, we, we need to be alert. We need to be aware of this kind of thing as Christians, as, you know, as we engage and watch this kind of film. We need to engage critically. And, um, and one writer, one Christian writer who's wonderful, he's from Ligonier Ministries, if you're familiar with that ministry and website, which is a wonderful resource. What he says about Star Wars worldview world is very helpful. Remember, a worldview is the water that we, the fish, is swimming in. We're not always aware of what our worldview is. The worldview is the way we think about the world when we're not consciously thinking about it. 
the worldview, our worldview um, is always in need of redemption and is always in need of correction by the worldview from Scripture. That's one of the many reasons why we read the Word of God religiously. Why we read it day in and day out is because we're asking God to change our worldview and to impart to us his view of the world, a God's eye view of the world, rather than our skewed um, vision of the way it works. And so what this man, Peter Jones, says about worldviews is that there are only two worldviews. There are only two ways to be human. Number one, to worship nature, which he calls one of them. Isn't that interesting? Um, and he relates this. He sees these two worldviews in Romans um, chapter 1. There's oneism, which um, is worship of nature. Worship of nature is oneism because if nature is all there is and everything then is made of the same stuff, it's pantheism. All is one is the slogan of this oneism, pagan worldview. This is the essence of New Ageism. Um, this is the essence of probably the way most people around you think. Even people, we're even in danger of thinking this way as ones in the church. You know, we'll say, I love nature, and it's great to be out in nature. I can feel God's presence out in nature. Well, we have to be careful that we're not saying God is present in the trees, God is present in the grass, God is present in the air, because that would be false. The, the Lord is Lord over creation. He's transcendent and above all, rather than being imminent and involved in and through all of creation. He created all creation, and he said it was good, and we are created in his image, but those are separate and distinct ideas that sometimes it, it requires a discerning heart and mind to be able to distinguish. So this one-ism would say all is one, um, and it, it, again, it's intentionally self-conscious. It's a worship of the things of this world, of the stuff of nature. It's a this-is-all-there-is-ism. Um, and then the second worldview that he highlights is worship of the creator, two-ism. We are other and distinct from our creator, and there's something wonderful about the fact that the Lord God of the universe yet still deigns to be in relationship with us. He desires um, to um, be close to us, even though he's far and other in his nature and in his character, and yet... Even in his holiness, he's found a way in Jesus Christ to become near to us. So even though he's far, he becomes near in Jesus Christ. And yet that distinction between him and us, between creator and creation, is still preserved and distinct. Does that make sense? Any thoughts or questions about that before we move on to look at some of the distinct religious ideas found within um, the films themselves? Kind of an interesting philosophical idea. Do you see that in a way? Um, just seemingly innocuous things that you'll read on Facebook or that you'll hear about. Um, okay, no pushback. All right, we'll keep going. Um, the other thing is, not only are these definitely and intentionally uh, religious, but they're also definitely and intentionally Eastern in their religious or origin. Um, so intentionally, George Lucas has built in some Buddhism and Taoism. You see it especially in the first and second trilogy through um, mindfulness is an aspect of um, this meditation. You see it in the second trilogy a lot. If you remember Qui-Gon Jinn, before he dies, there's this moment, sorry if I'm ruining it for you, there's this moment where he is locked off from Darth Maul and he can't continue. It's right in the middle of a lightsaber duel. He can't continue to fight him and, and Darth Maul in this visible barrier, that barrier that's come down between them, Darth Maul is going to pace like a tiger. His rage and his anger is just fueling his action, even in this moment of inaction. And then Qui-Gon Jinn um, kneels down to meditate, 
which is, you know, there's something helpful in that. As Christians, yes, we, um, we can spin our wheels or we can turn to God. But again, the meditation that he's turning to is this inner closed universe where he's not reaching out to something other than himself. He's reaching inward and looking inward to find the divine or to find God. Um, and that's really the Eastern viewpoint. So again, um, some people have said that Yoda is like a Buddhist evangelist, which is very interesting and probably really true. Um, he, um, when he dies, just even the fact that when he and Obi-Wan die, sorry to ruin the first trilogy, they die at different points. Uh, Yoda, not in the first trilogy, but there you go. Um, they die at different, or I guess he, I don't know. They die at different points, but then they come back. We're going to see maybe if we have time, the scene where Obi-Wan dies, and there's no body, which is weird, um, but he comes back as this almost like spirit ghost to help other people. That's a distinctly Buddhist idea, which is really interesting that it's in there. Just think also, if you think about samurais, remember samurais? It, within Japanese culture, samurais, what are they but monks who have learned both spiritual training and swordman, swordmanship? Jedi are like space monks. One, one author said, one commenter says, very beautifully and eloquently, that Jedis are mindfulness meditating, axiom-spouting space monks who keep order in the galaxy and swing a swift lightsaber. So true, right? So wonderful. Um, well, again, moving on to the Force. The Force itself really sounds like a Taoist idea. And within Taoism, the Tao is considered to be this energy stream that animates all of the world. Again, connected, tied into creation, not other and outside of creation, but rather in and behind all of the stuff of this world. And then Qi, or Qi, is considered one's own personal life force. And it's tapped in, the goal is to tap in through your own life force into the Tao. And this goal, there's this goal to act in concert with the Tao so that you can achieve this um, this goal called Wu-Wee, I'm probably mispronouncing it, or non <laughs> What's it called? Probably not it. Probably not it. I didn't know what it is. Sorry. Wu-Wee. wu Yeah. I like that better than probably the way you actually pronounce it. Forgive me, anyone who knows Chinese. But so, again, it's this non-action. It's this, the goal is to act without truly acting. Don't we see that in a lot of these Jedi films, or, you know, the Jedi actions? To act without truly acting and we see it especially in The Last Jedi if you've seen it. I don't want to give anything away, but if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is some action without action. There's this pinnacle of Jedi achievement that is, um, that is really Taoist. So again, with, the Dao, with this Taoism, one thing to remember is, um, and I'm just going to put this, well, let's listen. First of all, let's listen to, we're going to listen to, um, we're going to listen to Luke and the newest chosen one, who is, of course, um, who is, of course, I've got to find it. They redid all, there we go, Ray, And she's on the island. She's found out Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. And he's explaining the force to her in this, in this short little clip. Breathe. Just breathe. Reach out with your feelings. What do you see? Yeah. Nice. Death and the decay. Defeat you like warmth. Cold. Peace. 
violence. And between it all. Balance. Energy. A force. And inside you. Inside me. That same force. Do you hear that? Um, what is the force? Life, death, and decay that feeds new life. Warmth, cold, peace, violence. Um, did you hear all of those opposites um, used sort of one after another? Well, um, oops, excuse me. I'm going to show you something. This is, uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Lots of people have it on their necklace or on a, some people make it into a tattoo or, um, Let's see if I can get it to go all the way big so you can really see it. Um, if you know about the yin-yang, is one of the symbols of Taoism, and it actually would be a good symbol of the force if you think about it because of this back and forth, the life, the death, light, dark, good, evil, and so you see these Jedis wanting to seek balance within the force. Even in the last film, the most recent one, The Last Jedi, if you think about it, two of the main characters Paige, who dies very early on in the film, and her sister Rose have matching like best friend necklaces, which is what we used to have when I was a kid, that match together, and they're actually a yin-yang. If you thought about it, the, the shape of them is just like this. Well, so it's no mistake, this is intentional, that this is here within it. Well, one of the problems with Taoism is that it's not the whole truth. You know, there might be a sense in which breathing and calming down and relaxing the way that Ray is doing can actually cause us um, to listen. I would say listen to God speaking from outside of us. It can calm us down in a very good and helpful way. But none of the world religions um, will really tap into, uh, none of the other world religions tap into the truth with a capital T of who God is and who Jesus Christ is to the reality of God's judgment and his grace and mercy found in the Christian story. And so what you'll see is this little Taoist symbol and the whole idea of the force is not true enough. Yes, there's some truth where we find good and evil in our world. There seems to be a sense of life. We know that there's death, and yet sometimes the death can um, can be a merciful thing and bring in the cycle of nature, bring, bring life to other things. And yet, it's not equal like this. Christianity cannot accept the symbol, and the reason for that is that there's no way that evil is as strong as good. And this is really good news. We don't want the devil to have the same amount of power as our, our God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And scripture shows that this is not the truth. It might feel like it's true at some points. It might feel as though the evil one is stronger than we are. He is stronger than we are, and yet he is not stronger than Jesus Christ, who rose victorious from the dead. Death could not hold him. The evil one did not defeat him. Um, good triumphs. So there's no balance between good and evil. There's no balance between life and death. There's no equilibrium that we're trying to preserve between light and dark. And what's beautiful about this is if you really watch the Star Wars movies, they don't believe it either. Even though George Lucas is trying to put forward all of this, he's not saying that the end goal is to have the, um, the, the evil empire preserved in balance with the resistance. No, the resistance is always trying to wipe out evil so that there can actually be real true peace and real true victory. So isn't that neat that George Lucas wants to present this, but he doesn't actually do it through his story. And that's one of the reasons why the story is so good, because it points to the real reality that we need victory over 
over evil, victory over sin and death. Um, that's our true hope is found in a God who will not allow there to be balance in the universe, but rather will eliminate evil once and for all um, by eliminating sin and by being victorious over sin, death, hell, and the devil. Thanks be to God. Um, so again, as I started to say, uh, Star Wars, uh, this pagan, because these pagan views are false, they're also cruel. And yet, Star Wars is not as perfectly pagan as it wants to be, as I just showed with the um, with the yin yang Taoist symbol. There's also some. If you remember in the prequel trilogy with Anakin Skywalker, again, not the best acting, but that's okay. Anakin Skywalker, if you recall, he becomes attached to Padme Amidala. And um, within Buddhist, the Buddhist monk is not supposed to be attached to anyone. Um, there, there are supposed to be no loving attachments like that because those are dangerous. And those could actually um, pull him away from connecting with the Force. And yet the film looks favorable, favorably on it. The film looks favorably on the attachments that these Jedis have with other people. Um, and it's even the attachment that brings about some measure of redemption for them. Um, one other aspect that's very un-Buddhist, and this other people, non-Christians, have noticed this, is that Luke seems to have a superpower of compassion, which is less Buddhist. Because again, if Buddhism is about non-action and achieving non-action, he's too attached. If you recall in the original, original trilogy, he is supposed to complete his training there with Yoda, but he refuses to complete it because he's worried about his friends. And that seems to be a trap of the enemy, and yet it ends up ultimately working out. It's his compassion for his newfound friends that causes him to leave his training prematurely. This characteristic seems to be passed on to Ray in this most recent film through, if you're really nerdy and you want to watch any of the deleted scenes, if you watch, there's a deleted scene that happens on this monastic island where um, Luke has secluded himself and it, it, he seems to be passing on the sense, training Ray in a sense of compassion, which is very un-Buddhist. Um, so again, I'd already mentioned, we're not talking about achieving balance by equalizing light and dark sides, but actually victory is found through vanquishing the dark side entirely. Well, some other things, some of the newer films, I won't get into this, I don't have time to get into this too deeply, but I'm gonna play this while, I'm gonna mute it and play it while I, um, while I keep talking. This is the island where um, Luke Skywalker finds himself, certainly he's secluded himself because of his failure in training Ben Solo, who of course becomes Kylo Ren, this sort of new Darth Vader, Vader who doesn't live up to Darth Vader's memory as far as the dark side is concerned. But there on um, this one island that really exists off the coast of Ireland, it's called Skellig Michael, which Skellig means scaling because it's such a high, steep, um, steep, steep island, rocky island with 176 steps going up the island to get there. And they really filmed there, so a lot of the film is all the setting, all the scenes with Luke Skywalker and Rey when she's there visiting him on this island are set there. It's a major upgrade from the first trilogy where Luke was stuck on this weird, probably set in Hollywood with a puppet Yoda. I mean, this is so much better. It's really delightful and engaging um, and, and cute in certain ways. They were puffin birds everywhere, and they couldn't get rid of the puffin birds, and so they changed them into adorable little aliens which is a nice theme. Well, so again, Luke is, has exiled himself on this island as a form of self-imposed penance, not that we believe in penance, for losing Kylo Ren to the dark side, really because of his fear. It was his action that was the last straw, causing Kylo to t turn 
um, to um, to Snope, Snope or whatever Snope, excuse me, whatever he's called. Um, so again, this is a real Christian place where 12 monks lived beginning in the 6th century AD, 600 feet above sea level. And you can see those beehive huts right there. It's so beautiful. I've seen, I haven't been to this island, but I've seen islands like this, and it's gorgeous. So how wonderful that, um, that Star Wars did this and introduced some real distinct Christian elements to the story. Um, again, with, with Luke's self-imposed exile, there is a sense of actual repentance. And we're going to look at this. Um, in a little bit too with Kylo Ren. There's this sense in which Luke does, rather than exiling himself and, and um, avoiding all contact with people, which would actually be more Buddhist, that kind of lack of attachment, he comes out of hiding. He apologizes to Leia. He's willing to even apologize to Kylo Ren. We're going to look at a little clip of that. Um, and he, um, he even almost allows Kylo Ren to have him to to do whatever Kylo Ren thinks he needs to do to Luke um, to avenge himself on Luke and it's it's this beautiful sacrifice actually because he's believing that Kylo Ren is not so far gone that he couldn't be turned back and that's one of these aspects in which there is um, in Star Wars a redeemability of even the bad guys um, remember that whole story arc of the first trilogy was that the seemingly worst bad guy of all Darth Vader was actually the product of intense suffering and temptation. And he was redeemable. He was redeemed and brought back from the dark side through love and attachment. That is what changed him. Um, and so there's hope. There's hope for this new Darth Vader type. There's hope for Kylo Ren. And you see that. You see that Rey has hope that he will. he's not fully gone, that he'll turn back from the dark side. And she brings hope back to Luke, who had lost hope, probably because of his own failure with, um, with Kylo Ren. Again, this sense of responsibility over Kylo Ren's turning to the dark side um, is something that Luke actually face to face with his sister, with General Leia. Um, they have this conversation and Leia says to him towards the end of the film, I know my son's gone. Like it's okay, um, I know my son's gone. It's her way of forgiving him for having a role in his turning. And Luke says, no one's ever really gone. No one's ever too far gone. This is what we believe as Christians. You can't be so bad that God's grace and mercy can't reach you. This is even what I loved about acting was that when I was an actor, we were charged with having um, the, the grace to even portray someone as bad as Hitler compassionately, to try to understand what was going on, to make um, such evil and personified in a person even believable. And, um, and Star Wars really does that well. And, um, and so we see even there's some communication. All right, I'll show you a little bit of this scene with um, Luke and Kylo Ren. I won't show you all of it, but we don't have a lot of time. Oh, I better turn that I'm sorry. I'm sure you are. 
Resistance is dead. The war is over. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. Is it good to hear that, the, the, um, the anger in, found within Kylo Ren? Um, even before that, they, I couldn't find a clip that said it. Kylo Ren says when he first sees Luke, he says, Did you come back to say you forgive me to save my soul? And he's mocking them, mocking him. And Luke says, No, no, I didn't. No, even, I, you know, it's not up to me to do that, but I will, but I will, I'll apologize. I'm not trying to get you to apologize. I'm going to apologize. And that's where he says later on in the battle, it's a good little duel. He says, I failed you, Ben. I'm sorry. Again, throughout, finally, my final point, now that I have six minutes left, is that um, all throughout the series, you see this idea of self-sacrifice. You see it in the very first movie. If you remember wonderful Alec Guinness playing Obi-Wan Kenobi. Again, I'm going to play this in the background while I talk, just because you're probably really familiar with this scene. It's um, I'm going to mute it in just a minute, but it's really nice to hear their voices because they're very good actors. It offsets some of the bad acting. <laughs> it's very slow. Do you see them slowly? 1977, slow. Waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, Darth. <laughs> Only a master of evil, Darth. Scott and I were laughing because clearly George Lucas hadn't known that he would have Darth be a title and not a first name. And so this whole scene, he's calling him Darth, and it's very good acting. You hear the diction, and Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan Kenobi, is incredible. Um, but we were just like, hee, 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 Darth. So we keep calling each other Darth. We just keep calling each other Darth. But if you recall from this scene, this famous scene, it's just funny. Uh, we think we're nerds. Um, this famous scene, if you recall, involves Obi-Wan's sacrifice so that um, the few, the last hope could get into, and Luke and Leia and Han Solo could get into, um, to get into their ship as they're trying to leave. And um, self-sacrifice is a theme shown all throughout the Star Wars saga. We see it especially in this film. I was struck by it. This film, I feel like The Last Jedi has even more self-sacrifice than I think all of the rest of the saga combined. You see it from the very first scene. There's a dreadnought battle where um, the sacrifice of one person allows them to um, defeat this major dreadnought mass destructive ship. Um, and then there's also a scene where um, Laura Dern plays, unfortunately, plays a character. She's a great and accomplished act, actor, um, but here she's she's not very good, and that's the fault of the director. So don't blame her, but it, her acting is very surfacey and unbelievable. I just kind of want to just like, oh, go away. Um, but but her but the writing of the of the plot point is wonderful as the vice admiral of this um, resistance fleet that is in dire straits, she is going to pilot the major ship, their major cruiser, while and draw attention away from all of these transports where the people are leaving to go to this planet where they can find safety and ha hopefully um, begin again as a resistance. And um, General Leia, when she realizes that Holdo is going to make this sacrifice, she says, too many losses. I can't take it anymore. Again, Holdo is willing to sacrifice her own life for the sake of the cause and the sake of the resistance. 
this is not, these are not the only um, sacrifices. One other moment, someone says, um, we're not going to win by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love. And indeed, it's love that fuels so many of these sacrifices. And this is our call as Christians as well, to do likewise, to give up our lives to follow Jesus, to love others um, sacrificially. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Again, that willingness to die um, for each other, to give to each other sacrificially, is something that we learn from watching Jesus. We can never do this on our own except that Jesus has done it for us, and it's his own death and self-sacrifice that fuels any kind of compassion or mercy or selflessness that we would have towards other people. Remember what was said about Jesus Christ. Um, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. For a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again in Mark's gospel, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus says in John 10, I lay down my life for the sheep. Um, this is um, this is the very heart of our story, the true story with a capital T, the Christian story. And to the extent that these films point to that, especially in this aspect of self-sacrifice, they can be a talking point for us with other people who might never have set foot in a church to be able to tell the, the real story, the true story of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's pray. Thank you, Father, that um, even in this story we see those willing to die for those they love, to give up their own lives, to save the lives of others that they love. And we thank you, Lord, above all, for your great love for us, that you gave the ultimate sacrifice, that you um, paid the ultimate cost in order to redeem us from sin and death and the devil. And so we thank you, Lord, that our story is not one of balance between good and evil, but of victory over sin, death, and and the devil. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen Strengthen us in that truth as we go forth from here, that we would um, be ones who live and love sacrificially because we've been loved so marvelously by you. And so we ask this for your glory's sake and in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.